Hallelujah. What a wonderful day in the Lord. I just love when it snows in the spring, don't you? Just wonderful. God's full of surprises. You just don't know what you're going to wake up to in the morning. And each day he's new. That's awesome. Okay, who washed their truck yesterday and brought the snow? We have some people to blame and pray for. All right. Well, bless you in the name of the Lord. This is an exciting, exciting season. You know, Jesus is still raising people from the dead. And we get to be a part of Joseph and the tomb and the experience of Mary and, and uh, Martha. And this is our day to watch Resurrection Life and to be a part of it. And we would just pray that you would, uh, this week, just be praying about who you're to invite to Sunday service next week. It's a great venue to invite people to church. They're kind of expecting it, you know. Would you turn with me this morning? to an amazing story that may seem unrelated to our series on I am the light of the world. This is our last, fourth and last sermon and message on the series, I am the light. We're doing an I am series. There's seven I am's in the book of John where Jesus says, I am. And this I am the light of the world has just grabbed me for four weeks as we've prepped for this. This story may seem unrelated, but let's see if the Lord can tie it together today for you and I. Book of Acts, chapter 27. Taking place in verse 20 is a story where Paul the Apostle is on his first journey to Rome. Now, it's under the guise that he's a prisoner, but God's in it from the beginning to the end. And a certain amount of events have taken place. They're in a ship. They traveled when they shouldn't have. They're traveling in a time when they didn't expect the storm like we have this morning. How many of you have already taken off your snow tires? <laughs> yeah, nobody told me I wasn't supposed to. I know I could have had them on until April 15th, but why? You know, why do you need them? You know, and so I took mine off a couple weeks ago. Well, this ship pilot and the centurion Roman centurion who's in charge of the whole thing have ill-advisedly traveled in a time of year when they didn't expect a storm so in chapter 27 beginning with verse 20 or um, yes verse 20 reading out of the english standard version when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days Say it was pitch black for many days, wasn't it? Let's try that again. It was pitch black for many days. And no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Do you know anybody like that today? Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. 
And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Do you know how many men were on this ship? Some of you in men's meeting know because we've been talking about the book of Acts in the men's meeting on Friday morning. 276 souls on board. From soldiers to sailors to prisoners and everybody in between. Maybe merchant people traveling from one side of the Mediterranean to the other. 276 souls on this ship. Wow. And Paul has prayed that none of them perish. Pretty cool. Being a prisoner himself and being mistreated probably by the Roman soldiers and maybe even the men on board. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. Do you have faith in God this morning for the world? Do you and I have faith for the people we work with, for the families that are around us? Do we have faith for all the same fellows in our ship? God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take, God's telling him this, so take heart for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. We've been told the gospel. We've been told that God's the hope of the world. It's going to turn out exactly as we've been told. If we have faith to believe it. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Stern is the back of the ship. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Wow. And when, That's 276 times all the hairs on your head. That's a lot. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in front of all of them in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Long story short, the ship breaks up, they all get into the water, and every one of them make it to the island of Malta alive. Wow. Pretty cool. Everybody stand this morning. We're going to pray that everybody around us makes it out of this thing alive. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these lights that are going out into the world after today's service, Father. We pray that if there's not a light blazing and thin a heart in this building, that God, you will begin to shine your light into the hearts of men today, and that our ship will be saved. That, Father, though the whole world be lost, those that are around us will live. That we'll be a light in a dark and hurting world. Jesus, bless this people. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said.
Amen. Greet somebody in the name of the Lord and encourage all the Gonzaga fans. <laughs> all right, all right. Bless you. Did some of you practice being lights by encouraging all the Gonzaga fans? Anybody? Encourage those? That was a, disappointed me that the Bulldogs lost. Well, we've been talking about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. But in this story we read, Paul was actually an incredible light to a lost and hurting world, wasn't he? 276 totally hopeless people. Now, it's fun to conjecture and to figure out all the nuances and the ins and outs and the backstory and the front story and the side stories of what's going on here because Luke is actually an author of the book of Acts. And he uses the word we, so he's right there with Paul. I mean, I'm amazed, Luke, I told the men, I'm amazed Luke didn't weigh in a little more since he's writing the story. He, he could have said, and I was courageous, and I was seasick, and, or I was abused by a sailor, or I was this. And no eyes in that book on Acts. It, Paul, Luke went through everything Paul went through here. I mean, Luke's having to get into the water of a raging sea, hoping they make it to the shore, except he had faith in God, believing that Paul had heard from God. But 276 people, as the ship is breaking up, the, the bow got stuck on a sandbar, and the waves just started beating the back of the ship until it started breaking little by little and, and, and coming towards them, just like a movie, like a nightmare movie. And it's dark, and it's stormy. And there, I don't know if you've ever swam in the ocean. I don't like swimming in the ocean unless it's Hawaii in a little cove about this much water. Man, you look at an ocean, it's... It's amazingly intimidating. And Paul says, those that can swim, jump in. They said, those of you that can grab a piece of wood, you jump in. Wow. People that couldn't swim were jumping in the water, and they all survived. On the word of a man of God. On the word of a human being who just gave him hope, who was praying, 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 and God said through an angel, you're going to live. It was a helpless, hopeless situation. I mean, the sailors were going, let's make a run for it because this is our only chance. So when the sailors are saying that, you know it's pretty desperate. I mean, they were just going to let everybody die. They were so desperate. Took the Roman soldiers to stop them. And they all lived because God said to Paul, and Paul believed what God said, and Paul passed it on to all the helpless, hopeless, lost people. Do you know that you and I are the light of the world? <laughs> you know? Paul wasn't an angel. Paul was just a man who heard from an angel who had heard from God, who believed in God and believed he was supposed to go before Caesar, that God had a destiny on his life that was beyond that ship. He had to get to Rome. God told him so, so Paul's going, I mean, I'm going to float like a bobber out there. I'm sure I will. Turn with me to Matthew Chapter 5, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
And we don't have that verse up here, but I thought, let's just lead with what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Stay who you are in Jesus. Be who you are in Jesus. Don't go out into the world and lose that. Don't lose who you are in God. You're just how God made you. How many got to vote on how you were made? So did you make you? How about your mom and dad? They were praying for a good-looking child, but, you know, some of our folks got a little disappointed. <laughs> Sorry, Rory. I didn't mean that personally. I picked on Rod last week, and he paid me 10 bucks to say, pick on Rory this week. <clears throat> Rory and I look an awful lot alike for me to say that to him. God made you. I didn't get a vote. Your parents didn't get a vote. They, they wanted to help make you, I'm sure, but God made you. He likes you. He even likes your personality. I mean, for years I thought, you know, this low sense of humor that I just pulled out on Rory there that was funny to everybody but Rory, you know, that kind of low sense of humor that Susie wishes I didn't have all the time. And most of the time, I wished I didn't have all the time. And I just pictured going to heaven and God would just take that away and I'd be perfect. And I was reading this book called Imagine Heaven, talking about all the experiences people have had who have died and come back, and the commonality in these stories. And one of the things you learn is God really is tickled by your personality. Now, he doesn't like when I take my humor or my personality and hurt other people. That's not funny to God. But I think he loves how he made me. I think he's proud of how he made you. And I think he's tickled to have made somebody different that he's never made before. Now, he can't just make us all different in looks. That, that's not as important to him as your personality. So he, he's this awesome God who makes us all unique, and he wants that uniqueness to shine in this world as well as in heaven. He's not ashamed of your personality. He's not disgusted by it or disappointed in it. If you're impetuous, it tickles him because you surprise him every now and then probably. If you're a thinker and you're logical, he loves that because of the things you build and do. He loves everything about you that he made. And if God could unleash that on the world, oh, how bright the world would shine. You are salty. You have a flavor about you that's different than your surroundings. God doesn't want you to lose who you are when you come to him. Do you know that? That's, that's really a, a revelation to most of us. If you're tall and male, he doesn't make you short and female when you come to him. He likes how he made you. He doesn't want you to lose your giftings. He wants you to use your giftings. God wants your flavor to go out into the earth. Your flavor on him. Amen. Being shaken where he shakes you. Being put on the bland of the world. You and I, believe it or not, are exactly what God wants to unleash on the world. Yes, then he goes on and says this in the scripture that we have on the wall. You are... <laughs> he's talking to these disciples who are fishermen, stinky, fought with each other, wishes one was stronger and better than the other. They'd argued. They'd, they were just human. They were tax gatherers, they were fishermen, they were 
zealots, all imperfect in all their ways. In fact, all of them had been, would have been rejected from rabbinical school. No religious leader would have taken them on because they weren't qualified. And yet Jesus is telling this band of brothers, these 12 misfits, you are the light of the world. I wonder if they believe that. Well, let me ask you, how much do you believe it? That's probably how they react. And yet these 12, minus one, <laughs> lit up the world. Lit up the world. We're still under that light today, 7,000 miles away, 2,000 years later. We're still under the light that they shed through Jesus. He was right. Do you believe what Jesus is saying to you this morning? And you can tell the world, hey, I have an answer. I have a hope. You don't have to say it overtly to them. You can just begin to shine who you are, begin to tell people it's not helpless, it's not hopeless. No matter how lost the ship seems to be, no matter how bad the stern is being beaten up, there's life after the shipwreck. Do you know anybody in this world that's had a shipwreck? Like the person that looks in the mirror at you in the morning? Have any of you <laughs> had shipwrecks in your life? You can't be on this ocean for longer than 12 years and not be in a shipwreck. Jesus is literally my Savior. And he's the hope of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he turns around and says... You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. And this is what Paul did. He stood up, he let his light shine, and he lit up the entire ship in the middle of the night. 276 helpless, hopeless people were given hope through Paul the Apostle, because he didn't keep it under a bushel. He didn't stay in the belly of the ship and say, God, just save me. He got out there. He gave them hope. He blessed and broke bread. He told them to eat. I mean, he wasn't just hyper-spiritual. He said, you guys need to eat. You're all weak, and you need to eat because you don't need to swim to shore. It gives light to all in the house. And then in the English Standard, it says this. In the same way. What same way? In the same way, let your light shine before. What same way? Go up above. A city that's not in the valley, but it's on a hill. In the same way, you are a light. Elevated. You know, I've talked to people that say, well, my, my religion is just personal. Well, maybe your religion is, but the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't. It's not just personal. Paul could have said, this salvation that I have is just personal. I don't want to tell these heathen, idolatrous people that God's God. They, 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 they can just fend for themselves. I have a personal religion that Jesus is going to... Luke, do you have that personal religion? Yes, you and I, Paul. We'll have this personal religion, and we'll personally get to Malta. But to hell with everybody else? to damnation to everybody else? Well, that's what happens if your religion's personal. You know, live and let live. No, you live, they die. They don't live. 
Their ship goes down, they drown. Who are the fellows in your ship today? Who's out there that next week needs to be here and hear the sermon, I am the resurrection and the life? I'm guessing some of you could come up with a list of 276 souls in your ship. Believe it or not, you are way more influential than you think. Out of 276 people, only one guy was able to stand up, and he became really important to the whole ship. And he was just a little bald guy that couldn't speak very well in public, they think. And that one little guy stood up and said, I have heard from Jesus, and I believe what he told me. He's your salvation. You will live. Just do what Jesus says, and you will live. Cut your lifeboats. Lose your life, and you'll gain it. And I know you're weak, and you haven't eaten. You're, you're starving in this life. You haven't been fed enough with whatever life has to offer, and you're emaciated, and you're tired, and you want to give up. But I'm here to tell you, God has spoken to me through his word. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, for God so loved you that he gave his life for you that you will not perish, for he told me so. Do you guys have confidence in the word of God? Can you really tell somebody? God told me, whosoever believes on Jesus will not perish. You won't perish, just believe on Jesus. Because that's what I've been told by Jesus, and he told me to tell you. Wow, you are literally the light of the world. And in the same way, get up on a hill, be visible, and don't put a bushel basket over you that says your religion's personal. Take that off. You're public. Go public with this thing. Let your light so shine that everybody in your house sees the light. In the same way as you elevate a city on a hill, in the same way that you take off the bushel basket and lift the lamp up, nobody puts a lamp way down on the floor. They lift it up. The lights in this room are all elevated off the floor. Now, there's floor lighting around, but it doesn't light a room like this. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Hmm. So that they may see... Your good ergon. That's the Greek word for works. And give glory to your Father because they see your good works. This Father that is in heaven. This good. How many have heard this morning that he's a good, good Father? How many of you believe it enough to pass it on? You know, when I see a great movie, I can hardly contain myself. i got to tell somebody. Because I believe it was good. If you have a good, good father and you believe it, don't be selfish with him. Give him to the world. Give him to the world. Hmm. I know that Jesus is the light of the world and I'm a reflection of him. I don't produce my own light. But I was thinking about scientifically Something that's apropos to light. Guys, go to the next slide. 
It's a scientific fact, it's truth, that when energy is released, it gives off something. Who knows the two things that energy gives off when it's released? Yeah, you know, heat and light. Heat and light. These lights are a total product of energy being released. And many of you have touched a light bulb, and they're hot, too. The energy of God in our life should produce a little heat and a lot of light. I mean, think about Jesus hitting the world, saying, I am the light of the world. Did he heat things up a little, too? Yeah. How about Paul, that they're trying to kick him out of the city because these men who have turned the world upside down have come to visit us also. And that was Paul and Silas. Your heat will turn the world upside down. It ought to. It ought to create a warming in the heart of others. It ought to create, if they're heading in the wrong direction, enough heat to make them stop and look at their life. And it also gives off light. Now, one of the most interesting things to me in nature, I'm sure it'll be interesting to you too, because you all love science like I do, right? (laughs) Is that the energy that we got to make these lights in Idaho in the northwest is from water up at places like Lucky Peak. Many of us have light that comes from the energy released as water goes through the turbines of a dam and generates the work. And that's where we get the term ergon. The term erg is a measurement of work. That they might see your good works, ergon, energy and motion put together. That we don't just sit still, but we're energy in motion. The amount of effort it takes to move something over a distance is called work. That we get in motion in the world. And we do some ergon for Jesus. And it's going to take some energy. It's going to take energy that we don't have. It's called the Holy Spirit. Now where we get this light is from the energy from the falling water that turns from potential energy into kinetic energy. Now how did water get infused with so much energy? Do you know how water can be infused with all this potential energy behind a dam? Where did all that energy come from? Well, let's go back. It came out of the hills. It got lifted way up onto a hill. And if you ever lift a water balloon onto a skyscraper and then let it go, it releases energy. But the energy was put in the water by something that lifted it up out of the ocean. What lifts water out of the ocean? Who knows? Whales. Whales flip their tails, throws it. Wind. That kind of wind helps agitate it. Evaporation. And evaporation can only take place mainly during the day because that's when the energy from the sun excites the water that didn't have energy before the sun. Do you like this analogy, S-O-N, sun? The reality is 
that you too could generate enough energy to make electricity if you could carry the five-gallon buckets up to the dam. So we all grab a five-gallon bucket, and we walk up into the hills, and we dump the bucket into the, And we've put energy, all that energy it took to carry the five... Can you feel the energy it takes to carry a five-gallon bucket up the hill? The only way you can produce energy is with fuel. Energy is the result of the release of fuel. Where do you get your fuel to have energy? From the food you eat. Where does the food come from? This little plant during the day gets excited with its little photoelectric things in there, little photosynthesis, and at night it doesn't grow as much. Because in the daytime, what excites the little plant? And it gets energy put in it to it from where? Every piece of energy on this planet, every bit of light and heat that is on this planet came from one source. The sun. It is phenomenal. All our energy that you and I possess right now came, in, came from the sun. All the energy that's in the water producing electricity came from the sun. Oh, wait, pastor, what about if they burn coal and oil at a plant and produce electricity and energy? How many of you know the history of oil and coal? Dead plants and animals made by the sun. So this energy is neither created nor destroyed. And at 100%, except they're finding some vents in the ocean. Let's not talk about them. The analogy breaks down a little bit. But anyway, so this sun is producing so much energy, all of life is on our planet because of one sun. And I'd love if you just want to spell that S-O-N. Because the analogy doesn't break down on that one. Now, what you have to know about the sun to give out this much energy is it is burning fuel at an incredible rate. A million earths can fit inside this sun. If we were to show you the relationship between the earth and the sun, the sun would be back here. It'd be eight feet high. My tip of my finger. So picture a sun eight feet in diameter. And our earth, it takes 110 earths to go across the surface of this sun. So our earth is about that big. Now you put us about three miles, and yeah, more closer to a quarter of a mile that way. So this little P is way out there getting all its energy, and this sun is putting out energy in every direction through the universe. The earth only catches a little minute bit of that energy. That's how big our God is. He's just giving off energy in all directions, and we just need a little bit to run the whole planet. So he is definitely the light of the world. Now, I, I do need to fill you in. Because they have done a massive research on our sun, that star called the sun. And it is consumed already one half of its fuel. So it's like looking at your car tank and it's on half empty. Unless you're positive and it's half full. But anyway, it's, it's half. Now you need to be aware of that. Because it's burning up fuel at an excessive, amazing rate. And they've determined at the rate it's burning fuel, we only have half of that fuel left before we are going to go cold and into oblivion. And humans need to be aware of this because if the sun went out, it goes not so well for the rest of us. Right? How many of you know how much more fuel we have left from the sun before it's all over for us? 
They don't like to tell you this because it scares people. We only have five billion years left, and then it runs out of here. So <clears throat> just wanted to create a little excitement out there for you. Isn't that awesome? We have five billion more years of energy left on the sun. God is infinitesimal, beyond our comprehension, a million times bigger and brighter than any of us put together, burning for billions and billions of years without losing any energy. And the beautiful thing about the sun, the fuel the sun uses is just hydrogen being fueled and fused together. The atomic bomb was a fission explosion where they split a big atom. God takes the tiniest of atoms and just fuses them together and puts out the energy we get every day on the earth. Now, I don't know what's happening to the sun today to cause this much snow, but that's a whole other thing. Guys, go to the next. When God's energy is released, so in the natural, so in the spiritual. When God's energy is released, do you know what it gives off? It's pretty cool, scripturally. When God's energy is released, it gives off two things, gifts and love. I just think that's amazing. The reason I got, James says this, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father. <laughs> Go, guys. Look at this. In the scripture, it's uncanny how they correlate God's light. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift comes from our heavenly Father, who's the God of light. It's interesting that they associate your gift with the light. Wasn't it Paul's gift that lit up that ship on that day? But it's something else. And you look, go back, guys, to the things that God's energy gives off. Love. Our gifts are really just a lot of heat without love. The love is the light that comes out with the generate the heat of your life. Your energy is, when you release the energy of God in your life, your gifts just start to emerge. But you've got to remember also the love of God. The love of God and the gifts of God create heat and light in the world. Just like I said, you're the salt. Your giftings bring hope to people. Second Corinthians says this out of the New Living Translation. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts. So we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Do you realize you're enough just the way God made you to be an amazing light in this world? Hmm. You're a gift to everybody in your ship. And it's when they're most hopeless and in the darkest hour is when your light doesn't have to be all that big to really give them hope.
in 2000, I became principal at Kellogg High School in Kellogg, and a young man was our wrestling coach, and great young man. My superintendent and I had our eyes set on him for future things, and talked him into going into administration, and three years later, he got his administrative degree, and he started in administration. I, I probably believe my superintendent probably had the most to do with that. I, I just amened his decision. And uh, Troy became my vice principal. It was the first vice principal I'd ever had. I'd been the principal for about five years and did all the discipline by myself, 1,400 discipline referrals a year, 40, you know, uh, evaluations twice a year, plus custodians, cooks, and 800 angry parents. But anyway, most of the time they weren't angry. So when I got Troy as a vice principal, he lit up my world, didn't he, Susie? It was just awesome. I was surrounded by greatness, and he became a dear friend of mine. And when I got ready to move on and come down here for Jesus, um, I'd, he'd been there two years, and there was no doubt in the superintendent in my mind who should be the principal of Kellogg High School, and I left. So Troy took Kellogg High School. And so we'd obviously spent a lot of time together, hadn't we? And uh, Troy called me when he decided to go to Coeur d'Alene, and he said, Ralph, the teachers are really mad at me. He said, I've only been here a year, and they're just giving me the, you know, hairy eyeball when I walk down the hall. What, what is that other thing, a, a mopey face? What's the thing now kids are saying, Susie? Uh, something muggins, a mean muggin. Is that what you guys are saying now, that you give somebody a mean muggin where you mug at them really meanly? It's called a mean muggin. Am I saying that right, young people? Anyway. He got a bunch of mean muggins going down the hall. And he said, Ralph, I don't, I said, I feel really bad. I said, Troy, I said, would you rather him throw a party and be excited like when I left? Or are you glad they're sad? You know, so figure it out, bud. It's good. They're reacting right. They don't want you to leave. And he went to Coeur d'Alene for six, seven years and became principal of Coeur d'Alene High School two years ago. And this week, he killed himself. My buddy. You never know who you're a light to and who you're not. He was the last person I would ever expect to do that. He was balanced. He had a good attitude. His emotions and mental attitude was just like this through all kinds of things. And I don't know what brought him to the brink of depression and desperation, but oh God, I wished I'd have been on his ship about four days ago. And that God would tell me He's on the brink. Fortunately, about a year and a half ago, I'd ask you folks, I said, you know, one of the things you could always do with people is ask them, who do you say Jesus is? I'm just curious. I mean, he's a historical figure. Yes, whatever. What would you say if somebody asked you on the street, who do you think Jesus is? And I said, you ought to ask your friends that. Not in judgmental, just find out what they think of Jesus. I mean, that's in the scripture. Who do you say? Jesus is. Jesus said that of himself. He said, who do you guys say that I am? And they said, well, the people out there are saying, you know, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And they must have asked. And I, I just want to encourage you to ask your friends, people you don't know if they go to church. It's okay to say, just, I'm just really curious. Pastors asked me to do a survey. And, I, you know, this isn't judgmental at all. I'm just really curious. Who do you say Jesus is? And I told you guys to do that. And about then, Troy came down for a wrestling tournament, and we're out to eat, and I'm thinking, 
you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? So I said, Troy, I said, I've asked our people to do something. I just, I've never asked you this. Who do you say Jesus is? And Troy lit me up and surprised me. He said, he's my savior. He's the savior of the world, Ralph. He's the Messiah. I just, tears came to my eyes. I said, Troy, that makes me so excited you know that. And a month and a half ago, he came down for another wrestling tournament. We met for probably two hours, and he was just salt and light. He was just excited about his life. And I loved on him, told him I loved him, hugged him, told him how proud I was of what he was doing at Coeur High School. So the news this week has rocked me, and probably on April weekend of April 8th, I'll probably be gone to his service at NIC. But gang, you never know how helpless and hopeless people are just by looking at them. It's okay that you're dumb as a brick around people. Just don't be ignorant enough not to at least ask them what they think of Jesus. Who do you say Jesus is? I'm not asking about what I think. I really want to know who do you say he is? And listen to their answer. that they still need to be saved from this wicked and corrupt world, don't they? And it's you that have the hope. Well, I, I didn't say that to depress you. I say that to say how important our jobs are, how much destiny and potential you have to release that water from your dam and let it generate heat and light. Don't keep it pinned up behind the dam. Don't keep it under a bushel. Don't hide yourself in a valley. Get out there and be a light. It doesn't take much more than just being obedient to the Lord. The Lord, if he likes who you are, is he asking you to be Paul the apostle? I mean, I couldn't do what Paul did. I mean, I, I'm telling you, we all should be like that. But the reality is he put the right guy on the right sinking ship, didn't he? I'm so glad he didn't put me out there. I'd have been seasick. I'd have been thrown up. I couldn't have thought straight. But Paul was the right guy on that ship. Because God made you uniquely you, he knows where to put you in the world. Just be you on Jesus. Maybe you're a great baker, and all you have to do is bake cookies for your neighbors. You know, and... Make a Jesus fortune cookie out of it where they bite into it and John 3.16 pops. I don't know. Just pray about what God wants you to do. Tell them that in every fifth cookie there's a silver dollar and they'll just eat through all of them. God will give you wisdom. He'll give you strategies. I'm going to end with a more positive story. When Susie Taylor was about 14 years old, you went south for the winter, didn't you? She just left the ranch. She left God's kingdom, in a sense, and tried to run as far as she, way she, as she could from God. When Susie had graduated from high school, her life was on a downward spiral. It's her testimony, not mine, but I'll, uh, she can clean it up later. Maybe on the 8th when she speaks. <clears throat> Susie knew better. She was raised in a Christian home. Her mom and dad were pastors. Her mom was the pastor of Christian Life Center that time, Kellogg Full Gospel Church, which embarrassed Susie. She didn't want anybody to know she was a member of that Pentecostal tongue-talking church and that her parents were really elderly when they had her. So Susie was trying to hide from the world who she really was. 
Because she didn't think the world would like her, probably. And she got herself down the wrong path. And Susie told me that it got to the point after she graduated from high school, she would lay in bed at night in pitch darkness and say, darkness is my only friend. That's desperate, gang. Now, out in the world, at her job, they probably didn't know that. Meanwhile, back at Meridian was her sister and brother-in-law, Bert and Pat Roberts, and they'd known Susie wasn't serving the Lord. And I don't know what gripped Bert other than Jesus Christ and probably Pat because she sanctioned. Did you go with Bert on this trip, Pat? So in the dead of winter, yes? December. They headed north 400 miles in the winter on a mission to be a light on a sinking ship for a little girl by the name of Susie Taylor who had shriveled away probably to under 110 pounds because of her lifestyle. And just prior to Bert coming, Susie, is when you had the prayer with God. One month before Bert and Pat came, maybe this is it. She cries out from the belly of her ship that's been in a storm for 14 days and longer with no light from any source. And she says, Father, I will do anything to get out of this storm. I will do anything to get out of this life. She was willing to do anything, gang. That could go one of two ways. A month before, Bert and Pat fell on their heart to come up to Kellogg. And for a week, three days, how long did she run from you? Three days. So Susie and Bert and Pat were in the upstairs bedrooms. Susie would wait till Bert went into the bathroom, and then she'd dash off to work. Why'd you do that, Susie? Why, did, had he said anything to you? Bert hadn't said one word to Susie. But you were afraid? Why? Salt and light had shown up in your house, hadn't it? <laughs> the jig was up, she says. The jig was up. Isn't it interesting how people respond to you? They run from you. They might reject you. And yet when they're all by themselves at night in their bed, they're saying, God, I don't even know where you're at, but I'm willing to do anything. And they don't even know what they're asking for. Susie had no idea this was an answer to her cry. They don't. They're in darkness. So the second morning, Susie waits till Bert goes into the bathroom. She dashes out the door to work. Third day, the spiritual father, by the name of Bert Roberts, goes in the bathroom, pretends to shut the door. Susie starts to bolt. He opens the door and says, what? Are you afraid of me? How many know that you're capable of just asking somebody, are you afraid of me? He didn't throw a Bible at her. didn't tie a rope around her and force her to go to church. He asked her a question. Questions are one of the greatest ways to reach people you'll ever have. Jesus did. He asked questions. He, he was an all-knowing God, and yet he always asked the little human, what do you want? Oh, you want to be healed? Would you like to be healed? I mean, he, he always started out with a question. Two guys walk into to Emmaus, talking to each other. Jesus says, hey, what are you guys talking about? He walks with them for two miles, just asking them questions, or six, or however many miles. 
It just cracks me up that the all-knowing God asks those people questions. Sometimes all you need to do is just ask the right question. Find the question you're able to ask people for the right moment. And Bert asked Susie if she was afraid of him, and you said what, Susie? Yes. yes. And what did he say? We're going to have lunch today. Pretty spiritual, isn't it, so far? You're all capable of saying, how you doing? What's going on in your life? You want to go to lunch today? How many thinks they can do that? And then trust the Lord for the money to pay for lunch, okay? You've got to have some faith. Don't worry about the God will supply your lunch budget. And Bert took Susie out to lunch after knowing God wanted him to meet with her. And your pastor sits here today because somebody was a light in her dark world. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. All you got to do is drive, take them to lunch, ask them a question. You could be a light. You could be a lifeline. You could be the piece of wood that they're hanging on to to float to shore. Amen? I mean, none of those guys that could swim were just grabbing things. And you, you wouldn't see them rejecting a big, ugly board. Nah, that's not pretty enough. They'll cling to anything when they're drowning. You'll look plenty good to them. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You make a difference in the most amazing ways. You don't have to be a Ralph or a Bert or a Paul the Apostle or a Pastor Susie. Just be the way God made you to be and burn for him. They're saying the world is always curious to come and see when they see a human being on fire. They'll all come to look. I was thinking about a Coleman lantern, you know. These old Coleman lanterns that aren't so old, you take them, you got the little propane tank. Do you know how they make the little, what are they called, filaments or what are those things called? Do you know how they make the filaments? They light them on fire and they get all ashy and real, real, real fragile. If you poked them, they'd just fall to the ground. And these little fragile filaments on the oil of the Holy Spirit blaze so bright you can't even look at them. Turn the gas off and they go back to these little shriveled up charcoal burnt things that are fragile again. We're all fragile. We're not that good looking but boy when you burn Jesus through you, you're perfect. In fact you don't give off light till you are that little card charred charcoal-y thing. The nice new cloth ones don't give off much light. They're too proud. <laughs> Be you be on Jesus, be a light, invite, be salt, be yourself, be excited who God made you because it's only through you can he reach certain people. I, I've said this before, the analogy isn't just what you deal with, but if a 80-year-old, 85-year-old widow lady had her pipes burst at 3 o'clock in the morning, and she made the mistake of calling me. I'd show up with my Bible. But she'd push me out of the way as Mike Blessing came in to fix her leak. And as he loved on her and blessed her and got the house in order, she'd be primed to hear from Mike Blessing, how you doing? And she might just pour her heart out to him where she's glad I'm praying, but pastor, please get out of the way for the plumber. If you're called to be a plumber, don't reduce your calling to become a pastor because you'll reach more people there being who you are for Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
and, and plumbers aren't, Mike, the lowest thing on the chain here. And, you know, I, I'm saying who you are is the best you can be in Jesus, no matter what it is. Housewives, your job's most important in the world. Somebody raised Franklin Graham. Somebody raised, you know. Would you stand this morning? Let the light of God shine in your heart this morning. Take hope. <laughs> don't look at the waves. Don't look at the darkness. Fix your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> you will not sink. You will not drown. You will not burn. As we sing this song, just ask God to let you see how your light's been blazing all along and you never knew it. So you won't be ashamed of the gospel or ashamed of you or your light. That You'll take the bushel basket off. You'll move up to the hill and let people see you. That they might glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's go ahead and sing. I wonder if every head could just be bowed right now to give a time of safety to those who maybe have never given their heart fully to Jesus, but you realize you're walking in some kind of darkness today, some kind of confusion, depression, sadness, and maybe you don't know the potential of Jesus to flood into your life today and bring salt and light and life and happiness and joy again when you thought you'd never smile again, you'd never laugh again or have anything to rejoice in. This morning, Jesus is your hope. Jesus is a savior of the world, not just in talk, but he's an action God. He wants to really literally come in and make your life better, make it brighter, make it healthier, make it happier give you a purpose and a destiny when you couldn't see a foot in front of your face, but he's going to shine a light down a path that will excite you because your future will be glorious in him. Just like Susie, 40-some years ago, thought her life was over, and she has lived three lifetimes since then, brought joy to a husband like nobody could bring joy, brought joy to the world when many thought there could be no joy out of one act of love that covered a multitude of mistakes by Jesus Christ through his servant, Pastor Bert and Pat. This morning, Jesus is reaching into your heart and saying, just look up, just open your eyes and ask me in and the light will begin to shine. It's always darkest right before dawn, 
This could be your darkest moment right on the dawn of a great and awesome, brilliant life. Right now, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, he's easy to find. He doesn't hide or make it difficult. Would everybody just with me pray this prayer? And if you would be willing to pray a prayer, we're just going to lead you into the arms of Jesus right now. Jesus, we just come to you right now. Out of any darkness we may be experiencing, even the darkest evil, God, we want to turn our back on it and walk to your light, Jesus. Jesus, forgive me for the darkness that's in my life because of my poor choices. But Jesus, I know you are the most forgiving God and you love me with an everlasting love. Jesus, I accept you today. Save me in every way you know I need saving. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed, if you said that prayer for maybe the first time in your life, would you just lift your hand and just acknowledge you gave your heart to Jesus today? Thank you, Lord. Jesus sees your hand. Jesus sees your heart, and he loves you, and the Bible says all of heaven is rejoicing today because of you. That's how important you are. If you can, tell somebody who's a believer, a Christian, that you made that decision, and Lean on them. A fire always burns brighter in you if you cuddle up next to another little piece of wood that's on fire. So just want to encourage you to saddle up next to somebody else that's on fire for Jesus and let them help you stay warm in Jesus and to give you suggestions and guidance. And Don't forsake church. Come to church. Read your Bible. Pray. If you don't have a Bible, come to anybody in this church and somebody will know where to get you a Bible. And everybody, give them a Bible they can understand. Give them a translation that reads like modern-day English. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Can we just give the Lord a hand this morning and thank him for everything, everything he's done in Jesus' name. Oh, you're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Have a great day in Jesus. Did I do that? I took Matthew's one. <laughs>